In these days of financial pressure, everyone seems to be working more hours. But I want to remind you that God has some very clear things to say about overdoing it. Shalom and welcome to our Exploits Ministry Center in the heart of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Darg in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11 say, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, meaning any servile labor. Just consider the time and money that's accumulated by breaking this fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Ultimately, all that you might save in working so hard could be forfeited on doctor and hospital bills. The Jewish Sabbath begins here at sundown Friday evening and ends about 24 hours later on Saturday evening. The Erev Shabbat, the Friday evening meal with Sabbath candle lighting, is a weekly Jewish holiday of blessings, family feasting, singing, and relaxation. When our family first lived here in Israel in the 1980s, we adopted the daily rhythm of the Jewish state, and even now, we still feel the Sabbath coming upon us as a welcome time to unwind by late Friday afternoon. Last night, my husband and I enjoyed sleeping straight for 13 hours. That doesn't happen very often, but what a Sabbath rest it was. Sabbath keeping among evangelicals has become a prophetic phenomenon, a grassroots movement in traditional denominations, as well as believers who also attend Messianic fellowships. A prominent Pentecostal leader confided to me, said, shh, don't tell anybody, but our organization now keeps the Sabbath. So the Holy Spirit has been simultaneously leading many believers all around the world to recover the Jewish Sabbath. Now, don't misunderstand me. You can still worship on Sunday and every day of the week for that matter, but please don't call Sunday the Sabbath because Sunday is not the seventh day. Sunday in Hebrew is Yom Rishon, meaning the first day of the week. When I was a child, I was puzzled that all the Ten Commandments were held at face value in Christianity, except the Fourth Commandment. In Christianity, the Sabbath was changed by men to Sunday, but my child's conscience couldn't understand why God would change his mind. I'm not going to delve into this still controversial subject, except to prophesy that the church will eventually rediscover the Sabbath when the two sticks of Ephraim and Judah become one in the hand of the Lord. I personally believe the early church kept the seventh day as the Sabbath and that they assembled together on Motzei Shabbat, that's Saturday night, to break bread together because Saturday night was in Hebraic culture officially the beginning of the first day of the week the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. With many scholars believing that we are already in or approaching the seventh sabbatical millennium, the emphasis upon God's Sabbaths is certainly present day truth. The Bible tells us that a thousand years is as a day to the Lord. 
And many believe we are living in the days of Hosea chapter 6. And in verse 2, after two days will he revive us, and in the third day he'll raise us up, and we shall live in his sight. There's a parallel verse in the riddle that Jesus sent to Herod at the time of his passion. We find it in Luke chapter 13 and verse 32. Jesus said, Go tell that fox Herod, Behold, I cast out devils and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall finish my course. Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 11 correlates healthy, strong bones. In Hebrew, it actually says armored bones with pouring out your soul for the hungry and the afflicted. And that great chapter culminates with a promise that we shall be fed with the heritage of Jacob and we shall be privileged to ride upon the high places of the earth if we call the Lord's Sabbath a delight. And if we honor the Sabbath by not speaking idle words or seeking our own pleasure. Shall we enter into these glorious promises attached to the Sabbath? Has, after all, God's word been broken or changed? I don't think so. Yehovah, the Lord of Israel, testifies of himself in the word. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. However, what we're mainly considering here in this program is not the correct day of the week, but rather the Lord's mercy of timeless healing, even and especially on the Sabbath. The bottom line is that the Lord Jesus never broke or desecrated the Sabbath, but he resisted and overruled the religious leaders' foibles and the traditions of men concerning the Sabbath. The Jewish nation into whom the Lord was born held to many regulations that restricted behavior, but were not prescribed in the law of Moses. Jesus was a purist for the unadulterated word of God, and therefore, he in fact received more criticism about his behavior on the Sabbath than any other issue. What he and his disciples did or did not do on the Sabbath were points of contention. And acts of healing were the main activity that brought rebuke and indignation from his religious enemies. But Jesus never advocated breaking the Sabbath. He was a Sabbath observer. And Jesus was always found in the synagogue for Sabbath worship and the public reading of Scripture. In fact, in the New Testament, we see Jesus, as was his custom, faithfully attending synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth on the Sabbath. In his inaugural address in his home synagogue, he finds a passage concerning himself in the Isaiah scroll. And this defines how he will spend all of his Sabbaths. And we, we see him opening that scroll in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. And he finds the place and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liber liberty those that are bruised. And in his commentary afterwards, I want you to note the Lord's ironic sense of humor. He says, you will undoubtedly say, physician, heal thyself. Meaning you will no doubt expect that after my exploits in Capernaum, now I must heal my own town. He furthermore upbraided his fellows for their lack of faith and insular mindset by reminding them that in Elijah's day, it was a Gentile widow who won a miracle. 
And he added that in Elisha's day, it was a Gentile Syrian, the leper Naaman, who was entrusted with the gift of miraculous healing. How thoroughly familiar Jesus was with all the scriptures. But for rebuking them, the people of Nazareth thrust him out in an uproar. However, we see in verse 31 of Luke chapter 4, he's back in Capernaum again and in the synagogues of Galilee, faithfully teaching on the Sabbath days. The first person he healed or delivered was on the Sabbath, a man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue. And Jesus came down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and as he was teaching them on the Sabbath, they were amazed at his teaching because his message was with authority. And in that synagogue, there was a man possessed by an unclean spirit, a demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Isn't it amazing that the demons know who Jesus is? But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown the man down, the spirit came out without doing him any harm. And amazement came upon all the people, and the people began discussing with one another, What is this? Because this man has a power and authority, even to command unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about Jesus was spreading all around. And the power of the Lord was always present to heal. Because as Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8 declares, Our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But concerning the sanctity of Sabbath observance, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, in their zeal had accumulated many additional rules and prohibitions as a fence to protect the Mosaic law. Observant Jews keep the Sabbath from sundown Friday evening to sundown Saturday evening. It's a good and righteous thing to do. But the Pharisees and the scribes began to add to the word. They began to define what was work. And some of their definitions were absolutely over-the-top burdensome and extremely tedious, exhausting, not only to keep but just to remember. That's why Jesus decreed this amazing statement. He said the Sabbath was made for man and not the reverse. He said man was not made for the Sabbath. Let's chew on that wonderful statement for a moment. With that saying, Jesus defined the influence of the Sabbath, that it was instituted not just for the Hebraic people, for the Jews, but for all mankind, for you and for me. He is saying, in effect, that when the Almighty created the Sabbath day for rest, worship, and recreation, the day was intended to be a universal blessing to benefit the entire human race. And astonishingly, to his hearers, no doubt, Jesus also called himself the Lord of the Sabbath. For someone who was extremely humble, so humble that he washed his disciples' feet and died the most humiliating death possible, Jesus often said the most outlandish statements within earshot of his detractors. Imagine the religious people of his day hearing him say that he is the Messianic Son of Man, a reference found in the book of Daniel. And here he's saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Astonishing. But what was the context of Jesus saying he's the Lord of the Sabbath? 
I'll show you that one Sabbath day, as recorded in Luke chapter 6, Jesus was passing through the fields of grain, and his disciples picked some of the spikes, and they ate the grain by rubbing it out in their hands. Some Pharisees were nearby to complain that this act of picking and rubbing the grain was servile labor. Here's, for example, a reference from the Talmud that sounds very tedious, and it refers to an action like what the disciples were doing. The Talmud says, in case a woman rolls wheat to remove the husks, it is considered as work, sifting. If she rubs the heads of wheat, it is considered threshing. If she cleans off the sides of it, it is as if she has sifted fruit. If she bruises the ears, she has been grinding. If she throws them up in her hand, it's as if she's been winnowing. So the Pharisees argued often with Jesus because after all, they were quite possibly members of the same denomination within Judaism. I'll never forget how shocked I was the first time an Israeli told me in a matter of fact way that Jesus was a Pharisee. Yes, some scholars believe that Jesus' family were members of the sect or denomination within Judaism called the Pharisees. There was another group called the Sadducees, but his family would not have belonged to that group because they denied the resurrection. And we know Jesus believed and taught the resurrection. And, and so his frequent clashes were not anti-Semitic encounters with the Pharisees, but they were possibly in-house arguments. Now thinking outside of the box, Jesus gave the grain watchers a royal answer. I love this. He remembered the life and times of his ancestor, King David. And I often try to meditate on what thoughts possibly went through Jesus' mind concerning his relationship and kinship with David because he was descended from King David. So as the Pharisees were watching Jesus and his disciples rubbing and chewing on the grain, he reminded his detractors of the time that David was fleeing for his life from King Saul. And David appropriated the sacred loaves of bread from the tabernacle of God. Even so, Jesus, the son of David, declared boldly in Luke chapter 6, verse 5, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. But Jesus was referring to the incident in 1 Samuel chapter 21 when David fled to the tabernacle in Nob, a village in Benjamin. And there David petitions the priest for bread. The priest has nothing to offer except the consecrated showbread in the tabernacle. Now, according to Leviticus in the Torah, chapter 24, verses 5 to 9, this bread before the presence of the Lord was exceedingly holy and was reserved exclusively for the priests. But amazingly, the priest relinquishes some of the consecrated bread for David and his men because they are perceived to be on a holy mission. The lesson in both incidences concerning both King David and, and Jesus is that the spirit of the law is greater than the letter of the law. As for Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, if David could eat the blessed bread, 
how much more should David's antitype be allowed to act without censure? Well, we find Jesus again teaching on another Sabbath in a synagogue. And this time a man is present whose right hand is withered. The scribes and the Pharisees kept watching to see if Jesus would actually heal on the Sabbath and so that they might find some grounds for accusation against him. It's so fascinating to me today that many of the Jewish people are watching Jesus again. But this time it's not to discover some grounds of accusation, but many are curious because of the pressures coming upon the state of Israel. They are curious to know if it's time for Messiah to come and if indeed the Messiah that they've always been waiting for will turn out to be Jesus. Many Jews are still faithfully watching for the Messiah and some, including many rabbis, are intellectually willing to concede that when Messiah appears on the Mount of Olives, he could indeed quite possibly be Jesus of Nazareth. These are fascinating times. Now back in that synagogue, Jesus gave the word of command, and it was on the Sabbath, to the man with a withered hand, stretch out your arm. And the man's crippled arm was fully restored. Hallelujah. Do you know that many Jewish right hands are spiritually withered? This is what Psalm 137 says, among those living in the diaspora who have forgotten Jerusalem. That Psalm declares, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. But the Lord of history and the Lord of prophecy is giving the command to stretch forth their faith. And God is restoring the Jewish limbs in this promised land before our very eyes. The dry bones have reassembled. Muscles and flesh are now covering them. And as the prophecy in uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 says, the dry bones are coming alive. The whole house of Israel is being resurrected. It's the Lord's doing. It's marvelous to behold. Also in uh, the Gospel of Luke, in other Gospels, we read a list of the Lord's Beatitudes. Blessed are you, poor and lowly ones, who are without honor. But note carefully that there is no Beatitude for being sick. Often upon healing someone, the Lord would say, go in peace. Peace, of course, in Hebrew is shalom, and it means untroubled, undisturbed, wholeness, well-being. What a good definition of health. Now, moving on, uh, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is healing again on the Sabbath. He's teaching in one of the synagogues, and in verse 11, we see a story begins, there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent over double. She couldn't stand up. She couldn't straighten herself at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over because he was full of compassion. And he said, woman, you are freed from your infirmity. And he laid his hand on her and she immediately was made straight and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official was indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he began saying to the crowd in response, there are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed, but not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord rebuked him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his 
ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to give him water? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for 18 